Hello and welcome to the fifth episode of the Forward Onto Dawn podcast. I'm David Fuchs, aka Dangerous Dave, on the Forward Forums, and I am joined by three colleagues who I'll let introduce themselves. This is Ben Caton, aka Galleon EB. And uh, I'm Isaac, I go by Postmortem on the Forums. And I am Danny, also known as Slightly Live. Hello. Well, a lot has been going on in the world of Halo since we last recorded a podcast. We had the Game Informer Halo 4 blowout, and then there was a lot of damage control on a whole bunch (laughs) of forums. And uh, recently, Game Informer wrapped up all their reveals, and there's been the Composer announced. um, A whole bunch of stuff going on. The biggest reveal that we had was definitely, um, we finally found out what that object at the end of the the Halo 3 legendary ending was. Requiem. The dark planetoid? Yep. It's not, uh, definitely not a planetoid. Found that much out for sure. It's a shell. With a full planet inside of it. Yes, and specifically, it's not a Dyson sphere. It's not a Dyson sphere. It's a, it's a miniature Dyson shell. Is that So how is a Dyson shell different from a Dyson sphere? A Dyson sphere... The whole point of a Dyson Sphere is that you would build a membrane around a star and thus capture all the radiant energy. And so a Dyson shell around the planet doesn't quite make sense in that context. So we, it's certainly interesting why it's done that way. It's not like anything we've seen before in any of the Halo installations, definitely. And not only a membrane, isn't it just a lot of free-floating satellites that comprise a larger... No, that's a Dyson Swarm. <laughs> Before sure. we get into we could go into the whole debate and topic about Dyson objects. <laughs> it's not a, like a Dyson ring, it's a, it's it's something different anyway. But it, it, I think it, it, it matches up to our expectations of the Forerunner's sort of grand oh my god, how the hell could they ever make this sort of thing? In terms of, of blowing your mind to something of the scale of their technology. I, I think it's it's definitely something that whenever they try and convey it visually, it should look really impressive. Well, it definitely it definitely explains a lot of the concept art we saw where these there's these giant pillars that appear to be floating in the sky, but it could be that they're just attached to the shell and are just extending all the way to right next to the planet's surface. That seems odd. Like what? Like is the shell in orbit around the planet? But if, they, if it has these little things come down, that would exert a gravitational pull. You know, it's that's weird. It's a weird sort of thing that something from the shell will be extended down to the near planet surface. I'm looking at the concept art right now, and it seems like, you know, just based on what I'm looking at right now, it looks like it's supposed to be some kind of like anti gravity device that's keeping. The planet suspended perfectly in the in the middle of this sphere. Mm, mm. There's definitely something not right about the planet, the way it is encompassed in this sphere. Is it is it still is it still in a system? Is, it, is there still a star attached? The planet's orbiting, or is it just by itself in the middle of nowhere? Yeah, we still have no sense of where it really is in terms of the Haloverse. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's one of the most exciting things about it is they. It's like they did two things in kind of defining this planet or this planetoid. They created a whole new 
mysterious object, right? That kind of beckons all of those questions. And the other is that they set up just, it, it's this, I think it's going to be a new, I don't know if it'll be iconic, but it's certainly going to be a new skybox or a new profile to be looking at when you're on the ground. You know, Halo has that iconic view of the Halo stretching up into the distance. Now we're going to have, you know, this entire sphere kind of encompassing the planet that's going to sort of define the the whole look and context of the setting. I think that's one of the reasons why I was initially disappointed. I thought originally they were going to go with a micro Dyson sphere where they would have the surface of the inner surface of the sphere would be habitable. Like a traditional Dyson sphere, but obviously on a much smaller scale. I thought initially we would have like the you'd be basically inside the sphere and every direction would be sort of rounded upwards into the sphere and that that's what I initially was hoping they'd go for, because trying to get that pinned down will be mind-blowing. So like Halo Wars, basically. The sphere in Halo Wars. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, exactly like that. So it, it's not what I, I thought it was going to be, but it, it is equally as awesome, you know what I mean, in terms of a grandiose sort of skybox and vistas that we should be getting out of it. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely excited to explore something that's this fresh and, and new, something we, we haven't seen before in Halo. Like Exploring a, um, a Dyson shell would have been really cool, but at the same time, like Dave said, we've seen that in Halo Wars, and we've read it about, about it a little bit in the books, um, but this is something that we've never seen before, and that's going to make it way more fascinating to explore. Yeah, and part of me is hoping that in, in the run-up to release, they actually don't spend much time giving us real advanced knowledge about what this thing is or what it's for you know hopefully like a a big part of their effort to capture that sense of awe and wonder and mystery that that came from the first halo is going to be letting us uncover those things for ourselves the first time going through it so i'm i'm hoping that we're speculating right up until release and that this is stuff that we kind of learn and discover over the course of the campaign yeah that's one thing with reach i thought there was there was just too much shown beforehand i'm I'm not complaining i'm a spoiler warrior you show me the entire game beforehand i'll be one happy camper but i know a lot of people felt as if they knew a lot of the game before it came out they knew almost too much of the game before it came out and there wasn't as many sort of surprises and you know what i mean it didn't feel as fresh to some people whenever mm-hmm. they got their hands on it because oh yeah this place oh yes this place oh there as well there we are People were sort of expecting a lot of things whenever they're going into it with a lot of expectations in mind based on Reach's reveal. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely saying with Galleon on this, I want them to show as little as possible. And, of course, for me, try and find out as much as possible just because I want to. Yeah, I think that's a problem that you... I mean, you have the same problem in film with a lot of the trailers giving away the entire plot, and I think, you know, game is just as subject to that. But if there are a way for Microsoft to, you know, recognize what it is about that mystery and that discovery that you do personally, yeah, Halo 4 would definitely benefit from that. Actually, what's interesting is I noticed playing through Halo Wars, that the timeline they have there, they mention that the Covenant have found or found several of these Dyson spheres before. So I'm wondering if they have more knowledge of what's going on than us in this case. And just that this might not be, while it's going to be something new for players and new for the Master Chief, it might not be new for all the parties in the universe. I don't know about that because I think there's something special 
about Requiem. It's there has to be something special about Requiem, the the planet, because otherwise, why put why set the game there? Why set the entire game based around it? You know. So there's obviously there's got to be something very unique about it. The Dyson well, shells that we've seen in Halo Wars, that's one thing. But I think this is going to be separate. That could be. On the flip side, is what was special about Installation 04 as opposed to 05 or 06? It, it could be that this is just one of many installations. That's true, but it was special in the sense that the the Covenant weren't familiar with it as much as they, it was alien to the Covenant as it was to us. The Covenant didn't really have any much of an advantage in terms of, of fighting us. It was just us fighting them over this completely alien environment to both parties. That's true. Which leads me to the, 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 have we think about the new bad guys, whoever or whatever they are. I'm thinking they're going to be natives to this planet. Makes sense. Frankie's been hinting, and Thiefer 3's been hinting heavily about these new enemies, about what they're going to be, how they're going to interact with each other, how they're going to fight. Uh, I think it was Josh Holmes, maybe, that was, that was boasting about they're more sophisticated than the Covenant in terms of how they how they operate together um, as a group. So I'm really interested in seeing uh, how that plays out. But I think, based on what they've been hinting, that, it, that they have to be very familiar with this planet. So I, I'm, I'm not too sure at this moment what physically be. But I'm definitely interested in finding out. See, I think that when he, uh, when he gave that quote, he pretty much all but gave away that the enemy will be the Forerunners. I disagree. You disagree? I, I've got the quote in front of me. I'm going to read it just uh, for other people to hear. We wanted to create a set of enemies that work together in a collaborative way where each one of those enemies builds on and accentuates the abilities of the others. So when you face an individual enemy, they offer one challenge, but as you layer those enemies together, it changes the experience in important ways and heightens the challenge. If anything, they're kind of elevated in terms of their intelligence and complexity relative to the Covenant. And I think if you look back at Legends, and in particular the first episode of Origins, when we actually see the Forerunner fighting and see the tactics that they use and the technology that they use, you can see that their weapons are not over only you know more powerful than the ones that we've seen before, but they also build on, they accumulate based on the number of people that are uh, in the vicinity using them. So they have these, uh, you know, I don't know what they are, but they're like these energy sword plasma weapons almost, or hard light weapons. But you see a bunch of forerunners lining up, firing them, and the shot goes out and merges into one large, powerful shot. See, I think you're taking it far too literally. It's not going to be like Power Rangers where they all come together and form the forerunner Megazord. And it could because the other thing we've seen from the forerunners is the Onyx Sentinels, which did go all Zordon, merge into a giant. Yeah, but the first part of that quote... You could be describing the Covenant. Because think about it. Individually, they all have their unique abilities. But whenever you bring a big, large group of them together, your your jackals, your grunts, your elites, your your brutes, whenever you put them all together, they all it's more more powerful. You're fighting all these different enemy types at the same time. And they, that could be anything. Not just Forerunners, you know? And if, they're going to, if we're going to be fighting Forerunners, are we going to have, what, Forerunner Promethean Midgets? Forerunner Promethean Fat Guys they fight? Idiots, oh, they're the, the, the warriors, those are the, the comical short guys. You know, it, I don't see it. I don't see a Forerunner Warriors, the Prometheans, being a diverse enough group for us to, to fight like that. Who says it's just going to be the Prometheans? 
so a forerunner what priests or a forerunner i just think the for the forerunner cast system has so much variety to build off of that you there's a good there's a great basis for interesting uh, variety of engagements and enemy types i think if they made this fight forerunners it would take a lot out of the mystery behind behind the forerunners themselves obviously but not just that but the whole mysticism mysticism that the game builds itself around the whole universe is established around these around around their relics around their technology like the so books if, already go granular with the forerunners in a way we've never had before so if we're not fighting forerunners on this massive forerunner installation which is more active than any other installation we've seen so far right and if you know frankie's already you know, hinted multiple times that, you know, that it's active, that it's occupied, it's not abandoned. So, who would be occupying it? A mysterious alien race, perhaps? <laughs> it seems like it would be just this sort of a, a zigzag away from the direction that all the fiction has kind of been building to, you know, with Cryptum and Greg Bear's trilogy. And I, I don't get, think getting we'll... to an active, non-abandoned forerunner structure, and then we get there, and uh, it's it's not forerunner. It's these other strange things because they're going to keep the forerunner in the shadows. I, I think if they're not the main enemy, then they're definitely going to be a, a a significant element of the campaign. Yeah, well, that's oh, that, that's a different thing. Having the forerunners present as an element of the campaign is a hundred percent different than having them being the the go-to grunts that you fight. You know, because fictionally, the way they built up the forerunners, and if you look at the books, you look at all the fictions surrounding them, their technology is really, really advanced, and that's an understatement. Even compared to Master Chief's latest Mark Six or Mark whatever they're going to do with with War. They're not. We're not going to be able to put up a fight against that sort of technological superiority. We just can't. Maybe part of the story is learning to adapt their technology. But we're already great. adapting the technology with the with the infinity. We're, we are making adapt. We're seeing like new gun, which could be a part of us adapting the new technology. The humans adapting alien technology is a slow process, and the games are eventually bearing that out. So I don't really see it when really do battlefield adaptions like quick. If we come against Forerunners on a battlefield right now as starting Halo 4, we get our asses kicked, Master Chief will go home in a casket. We, we know we don't run into Forerunners at the start of Halo 4. We run into Covenant <laughs> at the very beginning. I think we're going to talk ourselves in circles here, partly yeah. because we just we don't know, right? And that's actually quite interesting to me, is that we don't know the story of the game. We don't even know much beyond the premise the chief is on the fort unto dawn. We found this big thing. It's occupied by someone or something. And we fight Covenant on the first level as they board the fort unto dawn. And that's all we know at this point. The hook itself, like you were saying there, is brilliant. Because we're not the only ones to discover this mysterious planet. There's a Covenant... Well, I, are they Covenant? We'll just call them Covenant. Covenant Armada sitting outside the fort on the dawn. Like that leads us to is is there going to be are we, are they going to be crashing in there too? Because none of the concept artwork suggests that they come in with us. What's this big armada about? Why are they gathered there? From a gameplay perspective, it, it I, I think it's an interesting idea because it starts us off on familiar territory, right? <laughs> Halo players know how to fight these guys. You know they're yep. grunts and jackals and elites, and so I think 
part of that is just them trying to set up perhaps a slightly tweaked combat sandbox to get us kind of used to all the changes that they're adding to Halo 4 on more familiar ground, and then introducing us gradually to a much more alien landscape, so to speak, um, and, with, and gradually layer in, uh, you know, similar to how the Flood came in late in Halo 1 or the Brutes came in late in Reach, we might start seeing new and different enemies gradually emerge um, once we're comfortable with what we're fighting. And it's a nice homage to Halo 1 going through the Pillar of Autumn, waking up from your hushed casket, ready to fight the, the Covenant. It's a nice homage back to the original opening of the game. And do you notice as well that in, in the original Halo, the first game, the game, the game set, set up expectations. Oh, it's going to be a corridor shooter and there's aliens and there's bullets. So boring, boring, boring. And the second level just smacks you in the face really hard with a holy f- this is different. And I think Halo 4 is going for that same sort of impact. Because this first level setting up all the standard expectations. We're in familiar environment. We're, we have familiar weapons. And I think they're setting us up for the big wow moment at the start of level 2 going into it. Yeah, and I, I think they recognize that those big wow moments where you first kind of step out onto a vast, unfamiliar landscape is so much more powerful if you're coming from a smaller environment, right? That's, that's one of those things, different genre, but that's one of those things that Bethesda recognizes, you know, it's Skyrim and Oblivion start small. You start out like in a, you know, cave. The, the, in a cave, like <laughs> the equivalent of a metal spaceship, you know, and then you step out and you have this vast landscape undulating out in front of you. And, yeah, it, it does seem like they're kind of setting themselves up for that kind of a moment where you have a corridor crawl on the floor into dawn and then crash land on this vast, you know, vast new place. And I can't wait for that moment. You think the Master Chief at this point would be very, 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 very comfortable with crashing through atmospheres? <laughs> he does it all the time. It was, yep. It's like a signature intro. Here, there's Master Chief. Just surfing through the atmosphere like a silver surfer or something, or crashing on a ship. He always makes a stylish entrance to a place, doesn't he? Yeah. Now here's something interesting. It, didn't they say that um, the Covenant contact takes place before you enter the uh, the Shield world, right? So you'll be fighting them before the ship technically crashes, or or however Master Chief gets to the surface. You know, either way. As the ship is being sucked into the planet, there's combat going on. So there will be this this movement of, I guess, essentially the level that you're playing on will be moving through a larger environment. And I don't know if that, obviously, I have no idea if that will show up in gameplay, but that would be really amazing if they could represent that. That would be pretty incredible to have that happen in real time. Almost like the, maybe in some ways, like the ODST orbital drop at the start of that game where we get the real-time transition. It's during a cinematic, but we get that transmission from the spaceship into space through the atmosphere. If they can pull that off during gameplay even, that that would be extraordinary. And it also reminds me of, you're talking about hearkening back to Combat Evolved. To me, it seems what really excites me for both the fiction but the gameplay is that one of the great things about Combat Evolved was at the end, once you had fought the Covenant, you knew how to fight them. Once you had fought the Flood for a few levels, knew how to fight them. And then you end up fighting the Sentinels. You would get these great three- and four-way battles that really 
broke up and made the fact that you were backtracking through these environments a lot more fun because you could wait and see if they would pick each other off or you could try and skirt past them. All these different techniques and it would be really great to see some of that come back. Yep, totally agree. I think the the three-way or multi-way battles are something that the series got away from after Halo 2 and uh, I've certainly really missed them. Those were always some of the most interesting interesting encounters. Well, I mean, that was my favorite part of Halo 2 was the end of was it Gravemind, where you go to the Mausoleum of the Arbiter and just mix it up in this big location with everyone coming in from all sides? With Hard Rock playing for yeah. soundtrack? Yeah, that was a good moment. I, I, I think they've specifically telegraphed to us that we should expect that in, in, in future because we have the Covenant, they're armed, they're dangerous, we have a new threat, so we know there's three players now. So I, I, even without the flood, we have our three different sides. So I think they've pretty much telegraphed to, to us in advance. Yeah, we're going to mix some shit up in future. We're going to have our old enemies, our new enemies, and we're going to be fighting both at some point. I'm pretty sure of it, just because they've made sure they, they remind us the Covenant are still there. Well, and on that note, they they made sure to tell us the reveal. I guess it was on Waypoint they revealed that we wouldn't be fighting the flood, but to me, that doesn't mean that we won't see the flood or they won't uh, come put into... Put them to bed. Mindless space zombies. Put them to freaking bed already. We've defeated them. Mindless. Let them... It's Okay, uber-minded zombies. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just, I, I'm sick of brown poo zombies. I don't want to fight any more poo monsters shooting poo at me anymore or climbing, climbing up sphincters to fight poo monsters. I, I don't want that. But I'm done but fighting poo. We aren't gonna at least in this point we aren't going to get that. And that makes me think that if the flood come back, they might do in a different way that we haven't seen before, and that it might be more of accumulation of events that are going on in this that will affect the rest of the trilogy. If if they can find some way to bring the flood back where we're not just fighting mindless poo zombies that just spam you to death. Because I, I never find the flood interesting to fight. The flood were definitely the most interesting element when they were mixed in with the covenant. You know that was those those two and three way battles during Halo yeah. One and Halo Two. It's like the the library, you know, is really just sort of like a, a training ground on here's how you fight flood, and then from that point on out, they're increasingly mixed in with other scenarios with the covenant with the sentinels. And it's all about how you manage all of those individual elements and kind of seeing them come together. So if they if they do bring back the Flood, and I, d I don't know how they'll be able to avoid it because they're so integral to everything the Forerunner technology that's left behind is about. But if they do bring it back, they're they're definitely going to have to be reimagined. So like you said, they're not giant poo monsters like they have been. But also so that, you know, they they kind of bring back how to make them interesting and how to make them different to fight than they have been. Can you really imagine someone joining 343, getting hired, and thinking, yeah, I'm going to design poo monsters for the next 10 years. You know? That's, come on. <laughs> I would take this... that job. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just, you want new ideas. You want more freshness brought into the universe. And I think the Flood story has been told. I know there's still elements to clean up, but that's what books are for. You know, I mean, the, the Flood... If they're brought back, there's a danger there that they could take over the story, you know what I mean? Because they're so 
they're such a dangerous threat. One spore can annihilate a galaxy. You can't really avoid it without it being the center of the focus, you know? I disagree. I think I think the flood are probably one of the most interesting parts of the fiction, not not because of how they serve uh, gameplay, but because simply because of their origin. Of all the known species in the Halo universe, they're the only one that, other than the precursors, which we still know very little about, that is uh, extragalactic in origin. And that creates such a deep mystery around where they came from, um, and again, with the, with the more recent reveals, how they are related to the precursors. And, and I think to drop the Flood completely would just destroy a lot of this backstory that goes back even further than the Forerunners, even. I'm not saying to ignore I'm just saying downplay it. Because though you have a galaxy, you have a sci-fi galaxy, you have aliens, you have all these planets and all this mystery. You look, just look at sci-fi, look at the sci-fi genre, look at books, films, cartoons even. You've got all these m- amazing, crazy stuff that could happen. And we're fighting poo zombies. Come on, you know what I mean? Like, but we won't be fighting them. So yeah, yeah, they'll, they'll just be watching us or whatever. <laughs> but you no, know, I hope we never return to the flood. Like, I want more aliens. I want more mystery. Oh my god, how the hell did they do that? Sort of moments. I want more. I want more mind blowing sci fi. You know, I want more awesome stuff. Even more military elements over more that. I don't know. I think I think it's going to be just because it is so integral to Halo's past and just and for for sci-fi I think there's a maybe it was um McLeese was they were talking about Bungie was talking about the origins of the flood and like the parasitic space zombies are pretty much a fundamental trope of a lot of sci-fi just because they provide a certain force an alien force that can't be reckoned or reasoned with I mean, so you've got the Reapers, you've got the Borg, you've got, um... The Zerg. Yeah, you've got the Zerg, you've got the Buggers from, uh, Starship Troopers. They're always going to play a role, and I do agree that the same type of gameplay where, or for most of the game where they just are charging at you, isn't going to be that interesting, but if they, especially if they build it up over the games to where it comes into its own that could really be because they would exert a pressure on maybe you aren't fighting them but it's this ticking time bomb in the background of the plot and the cool thing in, in terms of the flood relation to gameplay is that once you are at the um coordinated stage you have the pure forms and you can technically do whatever you want with gameplay create whatever forms you need i think maybe we might get into this discussion for halo 5 in terms of actually <laughs> yeah. That's what I was plug. just going to say. It's, it's all interesting to speculate about, but at the end of the day, we know it's all moot for Halo 4 because yeah. we've got confirmation that we will not be fighting Flood in Halo 4. Unless that was the post, like that was the great April Fool's joke from 343. <laughs> nope, Toad's Flood, second level. Moving on, um, I want to take a look here, guys, about the fictional setting, the fictional hooks for uh, Halo 4, um, since we're on the, on the topic about it. What we know for Halo 4 going into it, and I don't think we should go too deep into this at this point, but I think we should just look at what we gleaned from the recent reveals, and how does that match up from what we know uh, fictionally right now. Um, I'll give you an example. Glasslands with the Elites. 
how they stood in Glasslands and how they stand, as we know for a fact now, at the start of Halo 4. There's a massive disconnect right there. And coincidentally enough, there's a book coming out between now and Halo 4. You think we'll get a very solid explanation of how the elites go from Glasslands to to Halo 4 with, um, I believe it's called the Thursday War? Yeah, I, th- I think that was a lot of what the ending of Glasslands was really hinting at, was that uh, we had this kind of almost like a cold war going on between humanity and the remnants of the Covenant and then even some, some tension inside the elite society itself. Um, but nothing ever collapsed. We never saw all of this tension break down until the very, very end of the book. And I think the Thursday War is what's going to clearly explain how we got from this kind of futuristic Cold War to, again, being at war with at least some members of the Covenant or what previously was the Covenant. And I do think they've done a good job. While I don't necessarily agree with all the visual styling they've done, they've definitely made the Covenant these don't look like the guys we've been fighting or allied with in 2552 and 2553. They definitely look a lot different. So whether this is just a faction or who knows, the Arbiter gets overthrown, we just don't know yet. But it definitely makes me interested, especially since that we're fighting, going to be fighting Grunts and Jackals too. So maybe they've gone back to a sort of mini-covenant just out of necessity. Have the jackals been confirmed? They're they're in the concept art. Okay, I must have missed that. One thing I find interesting is the name itself, Thursday War. Military exercises. Yeah, military exercises, battle readiness, war fighting scenarios designed to test a company's reaction to various situations and emergencies. Sounds a lot like something we've uh, heard of recently. Yeah, that sounds a lot like um, oh, like the Infinity stuff, doesn't it? Like, te- like battle, war readiness, testing stuff out, little military training exercise. That does sound like Infinity. Like war games, almost. Hmm. <laughs> so do you guys think that in the next novel, we might get a bit more, uh, a bit more into, a bit more, I mean, we'll start getting into uh, the Infinity side of things? I think definitely, and that's going to be a great way to really... Uh, not just tease the multiplayer aspect of Halo 4, but really ground it more into the... Um, ground it in the universe before we actually enter it as a multiplayer battleground. So do you think then we'll, we'll, we will be introduced to characters uh, in the novel that will come across in the game? I hope so. Because they, they've talked... 343 has talked about how they really want to bring bridge the gap between the expanded universe and the game's continuity and bringing in Osman and the crew and Spartans obviously of the infinity would be a really good way of doing it without breaching the issue of before of all right well these people haven't read the book so are they going to really understand it if you can bring them in this way i think that there's a good chance to give us backstory for the avid fiction fans but still have it be approachable for players see i'm i'm worried so i am about that because the books introduced to introduced to us a couple of spartans or reintroduced to us a couple of spartans spartan twos and threes and at the end of glasslands um without going too much into the actual plot 
they were basically given an opportunity to join Spartan Force. I'm worried that with the with these older Spartans, how would that play out in terms of the infinity itself and, and the game? Because we would have these Spartans that we'd be expecting to see in the game. And considering who they are, that would take away from from the fresh experience of, of, of Infinity because you'd know the backstories of these characters. You'd be totally, you'd know who they are. You'd have, mentally, you'd have expectations for them. So I, I don't think they're going to be in the game. Yeah, I, I definitely I definitely agree. I don't think of the characters that could show up, I don't think this, any of the Spartan 2s are going to, just because I think, to a degree, 343 is still interested in keeping the tacit, fig leaf as it were that master chief is the last spartan and that they aren't really interested in like well actually he saved some from breach and then some of these guys got trapped in the slip space sphere at onyx and then some of these people went on to so i think that's just that's one of the places where you can't really introduce it without opening up a can of back fiction worms but for... they will be doing they will be doing well master chief is not the last spartan anymore and I well, think they've got the be, Spartan Fours. Yeah, they'll, they'll be doing that by, by via the Spartan Fours, and the way the game will introduce the Spartan Fours will be very important in establishing that. And I think that's how they're going to do. Well, here's more Spartans, but they're they're after Master Chief. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to be very important because the the game has to you know, deliver that to us, deliver that message to us, and then play it out because they have their own their own separate mission as well, which I think is very interesting with their whole little side campaign. Yeah, I don't know if we'll actually... We know that Master Chief meets up, spoilers, with the Infinity at some point during the campaign, and I really do hope we get to see him interact with the other Spartans because that would, I think, be a little nerd moment that I would love to see. Yeah, it'd be a great way to explore his character a little more, which is something they've promised a lot more of, so... Like how he would act with these people who are sort of, you could see him as almost trivializing the deaths of all his fellow comrades. Like, oh, well, they've just replaced them. So there's lots of ways you could go through it and explore him as a character. Mm-hmm. I have a wee quick wee question here I want to ask you guys. Uh, it's related to, you know, the, was it Conan or something like that in America? I don't, I don't follow your, your slight TV program. Some, some dude recording his voice for Halo 4 or something. Conan O'Brien. Yeah, that stuff. One thing, whenever I was watching that video, um, they were he he's doing a voice. Him and some other dude was doing a voice or something, guest voices. And um, I think Frankie in that video, um, along with Kiki Wolfkill or whatever, uh, was saying that the, the the specific setting of where the voices were being recorded was on the Infinity, in like a docking bay or something like that, near the end of the game. Did he say near the end? Yes. I'm almost 100% sure it's at near the end of the game. Did you guys catch that? I did catch it. I didn't remember the at the end of the game part. But yeah, and, and we also got a little visual preview of the area it was going to be taking place in. We saw the new, uh, the new pelicans as well. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't too clear, but they did show that so you could see. Yeah, but um, if that's at the end of the game, that's interesting. That means that... Uh, means nothing actually we don't really we can't really contextualize it too much but we could theorize now that the chief doesn't actually meet up with the infinity tour 
until the end of the game. You just meet up with the with the with humans, as it were, and you ask until the end of the game, which would probably make a lot more sense because you can't be wandering around an alien environment by yourself and have it still all alien with your best buddies coming down for a party. But then again, the the concept artwork shows shows the uh, marine. It looks like marines on the warthog going around the surface. Although concept art frequently shows stuff that's more representative than than literal. Yeah, but sometimes as well, it is it can be very literal to a particular scene as well. You know. Yeah. In terms of uh, returning our our characters uh, potentially being followed through in Spartan Ops from a story standpoint, we know that Spartan Ops is going to be a uh, it's going to be grounded in the fiction like the rest of the multiplayer through Infinity. But that really makes me wonder. Um, does that mean the multiplayer announcer will be in a part of the fiction as well? Is he now going to become a character? Someone mentioned that somewhere they were suggesting that maybe he pops up as a hologram, Jeff Steitzer or whatever, which yeah. I, I think would love. would be awesome. Or even if they just turned him into some kind of Oni operative or, or something. Or an AI character. For yeah, Oni an AI would be really cool. Oh, oh yeah, Nerdgasm. I would be a very happy man if they made him like some kind of AI character on the Infinity. That would be freaking awesome. He's actually black box. <laughs> you know, I suppose it it could be possible. Yeah, put me in the camp that thinks not absolutely everything in the game has to have some kind of fictional <laughs> justification. <laughs> yeah, that would be really overboard, cool I'll admit. Ben is not a fan of diegesis. That'd be compl- it, is, it is overkill, but come on. It, you have to admit, that would give you a chuckle. Come on. <laughs> and you just know some someone some some people would be very happy with that. Like, complete obsessive fiction. They retain everything in the fiction. Then yeah, again, I'm really like, curious to see like where Action Sack is going to fit in on the, <laughs> you know, on, the, on, the, on the fictional scale of things, right? Griffball is just their recreational. Right. <laughs> Actually, tying into the fiction and, and, and asking for for explanations and stuff. Guys, what about... I don't want to go into this too deep because people have already covered this. But see, see uh, modifications. We know modifications are part of loadouts now. You could carry extra ammo. Imagine trying to tie that into the fiction. They're all covered, you know, with pouches and like knickknacks and you know like you know reach my, my my spartan on reach is like one giant walking like ammunition bag right it's got like shotgun shells and sniper shells and you know grenades and just all kinds of stuff festooned on him so i guess this is their point of trying to you know take that kind of cosmetic customization they've all got pieces of flair and you know that yeah. just impacts their big time <laughs> Actually, that would be cool if the mods, if you, say, if you did get the extra ammo mod, you would see the extra bullets or something, like a magazine on your shoulder or on your leg or something. That might be a wee bit cool, I suppose. But it's kind of weird, you know, because without getting too deep into the topic of mods themselves, it's it's not something I was happy to hear about. Yeah, this is this is a whole can of worms that we can get into. I feel like we're about to make a hard right turn into gameplay discussion. <laughs> you want to dive into that now or Well, I just I just want to say like I think it's a good expression of the universe though cuz like, we've seen a lot of this stuff in the books. 
you know, with Spartans modifying their weapons on the fly on the field to adapt to whatever, you know, situation they need to tackle. And I think this is a great way of showing that. No, I, I, I agree in, on that aspect. The books do flesh out the Spartans' combat abilities a lot more than a game could, just because a game is more linear in terms of, of, of content and in terms of, of player experience. You can't you can't walk over to a guy when you're shooting him and say, punch him in the deck. You can't do that. Even though in the battlefield experience, you would do everything necessary in, a com- in combat. There's certain things that games just can't let you do. There's so there's always going to be a very limited. Wait, 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 wait. When, when, in, when in a real life situation <laughs> would the Spartans have to punch someone in the dick? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it was just a very bad, bad example. Oh wait, no, no. Actually, Some examples are more hypothetical than others. <laughs> no, I, I guess, I guess, actually, I've forgotten about the the ill-advised moment in Halo Uprising where Master Chief sticks a plasma grenade up a brute's privates. So, I guess <laughs> that we're missing. That isn't canon, is it? Oh uh, yeah, it is. No, no, no. I I remember them saying that particular episode wasn't canon. No, that wasn't in, that wasn't in Legends. That was in the comic series between Halo Two and Halo Three, Halo Uprising. So it's canon. Yeah. Oh God. Master Chief <laughs> plays dirty. Yeah, I want the gameplay ability to do that. I want I want armor ability. Oh, that's me play dirty. <laughs> okay, well we gotta look into Danny's personal list of gameplay improvements. <laughs> oh. Anyway, just, we may as well take this little tangent here and, and dive deep into maybe not a flashed out discussion, but we want to touch on the uh, the gameplay elements just a little tiny bit. The Galleons pointing out his, would it be fair to say, displeasure at mods and the, the way loadouts work in Halo 4? I, I wouldn't say displeasure because, you know, in many ways, what has been described feels like a natural evolution of where things were going from Reach. I guess it's a matter of perspective whether that's a good evolution or not, but they seems to have taken the concept of the armory and the concept of loadouts and kind of brought the two together where you're no longer making cosmetic selections for how your Spartan is going to look, but you're really building up a, a functional and aesthetic Spartan. I'm, I'm kind of of two minds about this. Like one, you know, their stated goal is to make it so there is no end-all, be-all weapon. So if you've got this big category of precision weapons that includes, you know, the the DMR and the battle rifle and the carbine and the magnum and, you know, any other things, and they really do balance these well, then on paper it can work. I think it's going to be an absolute nightmare to actually make work, and that's what I'm apprehensive about. We saw with Reach how when you throw so many different elements with all the different armor abilities and weapons into the pot at the same time, it's extraordinarily hard to for there to be order within the chaos. And I'm just really nervous about how all that is going to play out. And I think the other issue is whether or not it, the system can work. I think that it's probably been said it other ways, but on GAF, I think people put it pretty quickly that to them... Halo was everyone started out equal. That there was a basic fundamental, everyone starts out the same, and then it's a matter of skill and knowledge and luck that allows you to maneuver into things to grab the power weapons. 
and to that degree, Reach sort of changed that a bit, and then this is going a little further. And whether or not it can work on its own is a different question from whether this is changing, I guess, the spirit of Halo. I think there are arguments to be said both ways about it. Yeah, we seem to have gone from this space where, okay, everyone starts out with exactly the same capabilities and abilities, to they're only drawing the line at nobody spawns with a power weapon, right? They're, they're balancing all the weapons in the sandbox so that no one weapon is good for any, for every given situation, and no one spawns with a power weapon. But that's not the same as everyone starts off on equal footing. And so I, I, I think it, it, in some ways it's evolution, but it's definitely a, a fundamental change in the philosophy behind Halo. You know, it's kind of funny that um, initially I was dead set against any change to that base. I I was I've always been uh, firmly behind the equal footing start, making the difference between the teams, the actual skill of the players. So everyone starts off equal, and then you get in there and you you basically say who's the best by being the best, you know, on on the actual fight itself. And uh, any change to that, I was you know just militar militantly against. But one thing I I, I I'm actually recalling right now is that um, whenever I was playing Halo Three. I was playing Valhalla with a bunch of gaffers, and um, I can't remember the specific game or whatever, but I remember having a discussion with someone at the time. They were complaining about and matchmaking in Halo 3 at the time. They were starting off with ARs, and this was a custom game, like so we had the, the settings that we like as a community, and we were starting off with BR starts, and someone just said, well, why can't, why can't I just choose an AR to start with if I want an AR to start with in this level? Because some people, obviously the way voting works, People will choose whatever one, whatever weapon sets and starting settings they want in matchmaking. So what, what, why can't you just give those AR guys an AR and let me start with a BR? And if they want to get their ass kicked because they chose the wrong weapon, then beat on their heads. And I, I kind of feel that that's that's what Halo Four is going ahead and doing. Maybe not to that extreme because starting off with an AR on a map like Valhalla will get your ass kicked, no problem. But you know, it's giving people that choice, that freedom. Well, they only start off with a weapon they're comfortable with, the one they're happy with, and if they if they go in ill prepared to a, a situation, then it's going to be on their head. Yeah, and I think ultimately the the end result for me when we're talking about this is it could go either way on paper, and ultimately I think what Reach proved is in theory anything can be look horrible or great, and it's ultimately going to be about 343's implementation, which unfortunately we haven't seen a lot of yet, and I'm hopeful that we will, because that's where it's going to make or break it. Yeah, I'm I'm optimistic in in one aspect, and that's with the armor abilities. Well, they haven't outlined a philosophy for how armor abilities are going to be different in 343 or how they're being in 343 in Halo 4 than than they were in Reach. You know, they have talked about why they pulled out armor lock and why that didn't make the cut. And, you know, the the problem, of course, was how it disrupted combat and it disrupted the flow of combat. So at least they're cognizant of some of the failings that, that Reach highlighted. Whatever the opposite of cautiously optimistic is in this <laughs> aspect of Halo 4, it's like I'm incredibly nervous, but... I think we absolutely have to give them some benefit of the doubt 
because they're saying all the right things, even if they're implementing some things that are making people nervous. We, we really have to see how it works in execution to judge it. That, that reminds me, um, one thing I noticed, uh, I think it was Frankie talking about, was it Frankie talking about some, I think it was Josh, one of the guys talking about Sprint, they were saying that uh, Sprint won't disrupt the combat in Halo 4 because now that everyone has it, if someone uses Sprint to get away from a fight, you can now follow them every time to continue the battle so they'll not be able to get away from you. And I thought that was an interesting insight into their philosophy with armor abilities. They recognized some of the problems. Like Sprint is a problem in Reach just because people can use it to get away and you're not guaranteed to have Sprint yourself every single time. So I thought that was interesting uh, just to see how they're, they're approaching it. And there's another layer on top of what they did with Sprint as well that I thought was just as interesting. So everyone having it as being kind of an equalizer to make it so that you can't get away from combat. Like, that's one way to sort of neuter the effect of, okay, you're in a firefight, you're losing, you dash around a corner, you're done. The yeah. other is that if you start taking fire while you're sprinting, you get slowed down. So, like, sprinting will be something that you have to use more selectively. You're not going to be able to okay, you're taking fire, turn around and hightail it out of there because you're going to continue to take fire and you're not going to get out as fast as you would previously. Mm -hmm. So it, it's you're going to have to be more tactical in how you employ it. It's going to be for maneuvering around the map. It's going to be for getting to specific points. It's not going to be for getting out of combat because by virtue of everyone having it and by virtue of getting shot slowing you down, it's just sounds like it's not going to work anymore. It's not for that purpose. Yeah. I do want to say, though, that I am actually, I am personally sad that armor lock is being removed. Because to me, what? to me, the issue with armor lock was... Which one of those? No, the issue with armor lock was that fundamentally it was a good idea in that it's a instant invulnerability, but immobilizing... How can you say fundamentally Shh. that's a good idea? No, no, listen to it. Listen to it. But the issue was that where it disrupted the flow of combat was that you could hold it down. And what I really liked about it was that you could deflect rockets and like absorb the grenade stick or whatever. But then instead of I've got it on for a half a second, so I have to time this just right. And I've only got it for so long and it's going to take a long time to recharge. So it's when you use it. Like, what kind of damage are you willing to absorb? It turned into, I'm going to hold it down and in team games hope that someone can kill that guy before. And so then it's a matter of sitting around and slowing things down that way. So I think there was a potential for a revamped armor lockability in Halo 4 where it was more skill-based and when you could use it. Oh, skill-based invincibility. But no, I won't punch it. <laughs> Well, even setting aside the, the way it disrupted combat, my big objection with Armor Lock is how it had all these other secondary features festooned onto it, right? I mean, if, 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 if you were to say, you know what, we're going to give you a button that you can tap and it makes you invincible but stationary, you'd think, wow, that's awesome. It'd be useful in all kinds of situations. But then you have the EMP and all that, right. definitely. and then it has an EMP and it sheds sticky grenades, and it blows up vehicles when they crash into it, and, and, and. Like, you don't need any of those ands. It makes you coffee, it delivers your paper to you in the morning, and slippers, and pipe. And, the, well, the, the thing that always gets me is that people could rotate while they're in armor lock, and then they would instantly come out of it and, and beat you down, so you were ready for the assassination. 
So the features don't stop with armor lock? Yeah, so... Just don't stop? And your shields can recharge while you're in armor lock. Oh, they lo- oh the, the guy designing armor lock was must have been really happy. He's like, oh yeah, it does this, does that, oh yeah, mix coffee. I know, you had the, the podtacular thing where you, you guys ranted on it. And I think there are definitely perfectly valid considerations, but... I, I do think that there was still a place that you could have brought in Armalock, but they do seem to <laughs> they do seem to have thought about it well enough so that it's definitely considered. I did think one place where Armalock would make sense. Say you're dropping from a height, lock your armor to avoid getting damaged. Thank you. That that is what I have thought all along. <laughs> Taken from the cutscene on Halo Three, you've only made a little cannon and fixing or whatever. There you go. Just literally make it literally work the way you've we've technically seen it work, and that's lock up to prevent damage to the host. Yep. Yep. I've I've always been against armor lock simply because it doesn't make that much sense in the fiction, <laughs> especially with the shields recharging while it's going. If anything, it should sap the shields completely. Yeah, fictionally, armor lock made no sense, and for that reason alone. Ugh, I'm on, I've always been unhappy with it. It could have worked. They could have made armor lock work fictionally and made me happy and probably made everyone else happy by not having an overpowered piece of crap in there, but whatever. I'm just happy they've taken it out and I'm happy they've signaled to us, uh, they've really signaled to us at this point that's not there so we don't have to worry about it over the next few months. Well, and you know, the, the, the overarching signal is that they're really paying attention to the pace of gameplay. You know, and to the the way encounters play out, and the way they can be interrupted or not interrupted, or escaped from or not escaped from, it, it seems like they're really thinking about it at a level that that Bungie didn't really think about when they implemented Sprint the way they did or Armor Lock the way they did. One thing I want to just point out here is that just before we start recording, Ben, you pointed us in the direction of uh, a little quote from Frankie about how the game is set up and about the the names. Of the different game modes and how how Halo Forge is changing things up. Like we've known for some time now that uh, whenever you start the game up, it's going to be sl- the names of the of the menus and going to be slightly different. We know that Infinity is sort of it's not only the name of the ship on which the multiplayer simulations and some of the Spartan Ops missions start, but it's also sort of the the fictional wrapper for all things multiplayer. No, so yeah, I I, I think he said something around. Der- at the title screen, you're going to see Campaign and Infinity, and within the Infinity option, that's where you're going to see your multiplayer experiences. And we know from an article from the New York Daily News that the traditional multiplayer experience, in addition to being you know, sort of fictionalized as these Spartan Force simulations, has been renamed War Games. So within the Infinity, we have Spartan Ops and we have War Games, you know, which sort of makes sense. It's hard to come up with a uh, canonical description of what multiplayer means <laughs> so i think i think it's interesting just to point out that we we do have that sort of deeper sort of ingrination as it were off the friction into that i was going to say like a month after halo 4 comes out we're not going to be talking about multiplayer the same way we're going to be talking about war games and spartan ops so it's w- going to change the vocabulary i've always found it interesting because whenever i talk about halo's multiplayer i always find it slightly difficult because mentally I was talking about a certain aspect of multiplayer like maybe the, the competitive multiplayer and I'd have to say oh, this is competitive multiplayer or co-op multiplayer no it's co-op campaign multiplayer or it's firefight multiplayer and I think having that distinction will be just helpful 
just for overall discussion of multiplayer going forward. It's just for you know, for discussion purposes. It helps me, particularly when you're what we're doing on on the websites, writing articles about this sort of thing. Well, moving away from the the gameplay aspects, there was the other, I guess, big reveals we've had so far in the campaign have been of a visual nature, especially in the design of the Covenant. And we've already kind of come to grips with the new look of the Chief. But then there's Cortana, who's made some big changes too. I guess, what do you guys think about the sort of approach that they've been taking with these characters? Well, I'll say one thing is I'm, I'm happy with the, the look of the new elites. I know uh, a few people in the community are unhappy with it, but for me, it's, it's almost the culmination of everything that I've always wanted out of the elites in the games. I really liked the posture that the elites had in Halo 3. I liked the viciousness that they had in Reach. I liked a lot of the personality that they portrayed in Halo 2. Um, and to me, this, this seems like just the perfect merging of all of that into one form. I think the only the issue I have with the elites as they... I mean, admittedly, we haven't... This could be a faction, and we don't really know exactly how they will all look. But to me, they move away. It's just the surface treatment of them moves away from... They've been described as... And sort of portrayed as shark-like. So I imagine, like, the smooth skin, like kind of look but now they've got this sort of more dinosaur-y pebbly thing going on and that's just the thing that kind of gives me pause well they've been described as shark-like but <clears throat> they've also been described as saurian so yeah I, I mean and we didn't have before i mean i guess the only example we really had was the arbiter in the beginning of halo 2 which he wasn't really scaly then but with graphics coming a long way since then i have no problem with scaly dinosaurs well, I, I like dinosaurs too, but I mean, we've already got the the jackals being the avian dinosaurs already. I don't know if we need to make everyone else like that. So the elites need feathers. No, no, I, I refuse. As a dinosaur fan, I still dislike feathers. Like, <laughs> no, you cannot. You still believe in Jurassic Park, do you? No, I I know that's probably wrong. I mean, well, aside from the fact that the Velociraptors were not six feet tall, but. Yeah, I, I could not imagine what ha, that film would have had as great an impact if everyone was running around like giant oversized chickens. Frog DNA, man. It's all about the frog DNA. <laughs> <laughs> frog DNA is like the Jurassic Park version of Forerunner crystals. <laughs> Nano machines. It, it really is. <laughs> and then I, I do, all right. I, I need to find my my biology is lacking, but I really don't understand how being methane breathers the grunts can survive with their mouths exposed i don't know about that they only need so much it's like humans like we can we can go into a sulfurous environment as long as we're getting enough oxygen in into our lungs with each breath it doesn't really matter so they're getting the methane in their in their nostrils or whatever and it's going into their lungs they're perfectly fine they have open mouths Okay. It makes no difference. I suppose. Yeah, it raises the question as to whether other atmospheres are toxic to them or not. It's the same with the elites. We know the elites uh, aren't don't need anything. They're even oxygen happy breathers. So yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't see any of the covenant species as far as we know. They've been on reach, and all of them had their mouths exposed by the grunts. You know yeah. what I mean? So I don't think. I, I suppose. I mean, there's definitely 
canon suggestions of that before now. Like in um, the Cole Protocol, they have a bunch of renegade grunts on a planet, and they're essentially, it's a regular atmosphere where they're in these sort of recessed, uh, low-altitude areas. So I guess it's been hinted at before. It just strikes me as visually odd. I'm a sucker for the cute grunts in Halo 2, and after that they got ugly really quickly. And <laughs> and that's that has nothing to do with like what it should be like. It's just something I've always noticed. I, I miss the little cute grunts on Joe Staten being like, Heretic! Heretic! Just nostalgia speaking. No, I definitely agree with you on that point. That was my first reaction is as soon as I saw, you know, regardless of the exposed mouth, the just the general look was something that kind of made me do a double take. It's like, well, how am I supposed to find this funny, you know? Um, but after thinking about it a little bit and um, actually going back to the fall of Reach, you know, one of the first published things about, well, Halo or the Grunts or anything. In the books, the Grunts weren't described as that comedic. Other than, uh, I think, Contact Harvest and the Cole Protocol, every time we heard about the Grunts before that, they were really portrayed as these, like, vicious little things. (laughs) (laughs) They weren't funny in any way. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I think that's, that's what Bungie was trying to get back to a little bit with Reach, you know, take out their English dialogue, tried to make them a little more ferocious looking, you know, but for me at least, like, their comedic nature was so ingrained that even without it being there, I still kind of find them hilarious. <laughs> it doesn't help with one of these things like the birthday skull. It really doesn't help. That's that's the greatest contribution Viva Pinata gave to the world is that little soundbite yep. for exploding grunts. I got a real Gears of War vibe from that grunt. You know, that's just it looks like some kind of reject from Gears of War. It's like, what? My only real objection to the grunt is just how they completely simplified their profile and their geometry. You know, the grunt's limbs are really, really chunky with all kinds of protrusions and, you know, chunky, squarish feet. And it gave them a really unique profile. And all of that has been refined away. So they look just have your basic smooth reptilian skin. Yeah, and that goes against the fiction too. Because we know now that they are actually arthropods. And then suddenly we have this very reptilian skin showing up. Like almost immediately after we found out that they were arthropods. But to be fair though, they are, I mean, the... Uh, I think they first mentioned that in Halo 3 in the instruction manual, but they still are aliens, so they can do whatever the hell they want. It's like the the closest we could come to it in our classification as arthropods, so I guess there is leeway. Alien magic. Sci-fi magic. No, nanomachines, but... (laughs) (laughs) Oni did it. (laughs) I, I do kind of disagree. Yeah, like, we haven't seen that many of them, and there's... Aside from the the now infamous locust-looking grunt, we do have a, a picture in the Game Informer pictures of a really interesting bulbous grunt, which has its mask. So I, I do think they are still going to have recognizable profiles, but I do kind of that they did miss something out of move, making them less segmented and pointy. I'll tell you what, if they changed just one thing about the new design to make me happy, it would be those those two rodent-like teeth at the very front. Those just bug me. Oh, wow, now I can't unsee that. 
I just <laughs> oh wow, they are right there. They got like and even the upturned lip. I mean, rodents have that upturned lip right around the two front teeth. Yeah, they they yeah, that's that's naked mole rats now, man. Oh, thanks, Isaac. <laughs> naked mole rat grunts. <laughs> Like that, we're, we're fretting. I think we might be fretting a little bit too much over something like like this, because uh, it's because we haven't got anything else to fret over in all honesty. Oh but, yeah, um, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's that's the thing with all this is like you have to take it with a grain of salt because we're we're talking about like three images. I know, and I, don't forget though, these they won't be the main enemies as well. You know, I mean, the, the, the new enemies we don't, we won't have the ability to go. Well, I don't like their toes. Their toes aren't really canon, are they? You know, so we don't really we won't have that ability with whatever new enemy there is. My issues are more canonical. Like I have no, especially with a lot of the concept art and stuff, and even the design we've seen. I have no issue with any of it. In it as it is, I think it's solid art and really interesting design. It's more refining things that I didn't think needed to be refined or changed, and that's just an issue of I like everything to be consistent. But from a design point, I like them. One thing I want to point out is in the Game Informer article, um, and they were talking about the the campaign mission uh, during the course of the events in that first mission. Uh, the chief actually points out to Cortana that the uh, the Covenant, or uh, at least the elites, they they don't look like standard military. You know what I mean? They don't look like the standard Covenant military that he's used to seeing, and that might that might be one of the major reasons why we're having this discussion about these changes that they they were made to look differently on purpose for a specific reason. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? So that if, if 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 the master chief is aware of it and that's communicated to the player, then there's a very good reason. Oh, you know? yeah, definitely. Just just something to keep in mind. Like this isn't change for change's sake. There is at least unlike Reach, we have a few. It's been a couple of years, and the covenant did collapse. So there's a little more leeway for why things would look different yeah. than actually. Uh, a few weeks before you see them in Halo Combat Evolved, they were completely different. <laughs> I think if we were around, if we were around during the transition from Halo Two, from Halo One to Halo Two, we would been bitching nonstop at all these silly canon changes. My God, they're ruining the fiction. Look at this. Look at the elites. They completely changed their skeletons. Well, why does that happen? Well, but the the elites they changed they changed the elites for gameplay reasons, obviously, since they needed to have similar hitboxes. But if you look at back at the changes from Halo One to Halo Three, aside from the brutes, they there was a lot more. It was all right. Now we've got the plasma pistol, and it's more refined looking. And I think with Reach, they really started. A dramatic change in the visual style. So, do you, you guys think we'll see, in terms of the Covenant, any returning Covenant elements in Halo Four? Do you think we're going to see many more changes, or any more drastic changes to the Covenant elements? We've seen the redesign of the Elites and the Grunts, and in the fiction, the Light Gola are obviously it's a it's a colony of worms or. They've been described as worms and eel-like creatures, but either way, I'll just say worms. And they're capable of essentially housing themselves in any form. That's one thing I would 
really love to see. I'm not sure it's going to show up in Halo 4, but, you know, I've, I've been putting it out there for a while that we need to see some more variety on the, the kind of hunters we face. Yeah, I think it would be really cool to see a flashback to the taming of the hunters before they were integrated into the Covenant to see, like, what they actually looked like, you know, fighting in their natural state. Weren't hunters originally, didn't they originally, like, feast on Forerunner yeah, metals yeah. Uh-huh. and technology? <laughs> And so that was one of the reasons why they wanted to tame them. So they stopped them from eating away at Forerunner stuff. Yeah. Here's a question. Why would an alien species face on Forerunner stuff? Were they, were they built like that? The same way that the, the engineers were seemingly designed? Like, well, who or what would design a creature to eat Forerunner stuff? That makes no sense. Well, they, they also mentioned, I think Isaac was just about to bring this up, that they will only certain ones would only eat certain forerunner metals, and so yeah, that's that seems awfully, awfully purposely designed for something very specific. It kind of does, doesn't it? Yeah. Now that you something mentioned... to think about. Yeah. Huh. I think that'd be very interesting because um, we were talking about in uh, fictionally with uh, the the forerunners and the precursors and the flood about the flood maybe being designed by the precursors specifically against the forerunners or whatever we want to go down whatever route we want to go down with that yeah. and, I, and I think it's interesting this we could maybe see the uh, the, the, the the worms being a, a, maybe an extension of that or a, a different you know I don't think it's a it's it's not necessary I think saying that there's an alien species that eats specifically forerunner metal is fine but it would be a great way to just further unify everything that we already have in the fiction. Cortana? Oh yeah, Cortana. Actually, I don't really have any thoughts on Cortana other than... She looks different the end. Yeah, and I'm happy with the new look and that's it. Well, and but that's the... Pretty much. That's the interesting thing is that Cortana is, I think, the single... If you could point to something like that was never the same in all the games, Cortana was it. She, she is pretty much unrecognizable in this new incarnation side she's unrecognizable from halo 1 to halo 2 into halo yeah yeah 3. and exactly like she she has personally i like the halo 2 look the most but she was basically a different version every single time and she kind of got a, a increasingly sexy voluptuous makeover every single time too so i'm kind of glad they seem to have toned her down slightly <laughs> They, I don't know, they've made her appearance much more feminine, I thought. She looks more like a woman. Yeah, there's two interesting points I want to bring up. One is, what you mentioned is that she seems more human. Um, and again, I tie everything back to Origins for whatever reason. But in that, we see her brushing away the frost from Chief's uh, cryotube. You know, some people would say that that's just part of her rampancy and it didn't really happen, but I think because of all the tech, the Forerunner technology she's been exposed to and specifically the hard light technology, that uh, some of that might have been integrated into her. So how would you integrate one technology into another technology if you have software changes only? Nanomachines. Yeah, nanomachines. No, no, come on. No, that's 400 if, crystals, you know. That... If she knows, if, yeah, heart light technology is fair enough at one point, but that's not going to work because there's only hollow projectors there with, with the UNC design stuff, and uh, she ain't going to upgrade the HUD and the BIOS of the 
hollow projectors to make them heart light hollow projectors. I just think you can't do away with a character as central as Cortana, and as she's naturally nearing the end of her life cycle, you have to come up with some sort of mechanism to keep her alive and keep her going. And uh, I've always, I've always liked um, Ender's Game and how it approached one of its AI characters. And uh, I guess just spoiler alert here: stop listening if you're actually going to read this book series, which you should. It's great. Um, but at the end of this series, but it's written now. It's written now, but but go on, ruin it more. <laughs> at the end of this series, this uh, artificial intelligence literally becomes a human, and it's that's it's, shocking. And that's never happened in any sci-fi story. A sexy female becoming AI becoming real, getting a real body. It's the weird Mass Effect, science. The Mass Effect guys should take note of that. That's like a brilliant idea for Mass Effect as well. <laughs> Well, Ender's game, Ender's game has been around a lot longer, and they did it very well. And I just—I'm not saying that she, Cortana should become a live human, but I think something needs to happen that's going to extend, extend her life cycle outside of the limitations of well, an artificial intelligence. Actually, I think they were talking. They had the Game Informer video with Frankie talking about Cortana, and she's gone through a lot of changes. But what I thought was interesting was that they specifically mentioned that it was like something. Not only is she approaching the end of her natural lifespan as she was, but she absorbed all this fo- this forerunner knowledge. And to my knowledge, that was something that had been like discussed a whole lot. Like I know there's tons of stuff in the HBO story pages about how like what her absorbing all the knowledge in the control room and stuff did to her. And while there were hints of that in First Strike, I don't know if they ever really went so far as to state that that had had an effect on her in any of the halo media until basically like now like they hinted at it strongly but what about what about origins well obviously origins hinted at it strongly origins slapped you in the face with it pretty much yeah but until then well but the issue with origins was frankie said it could be all in her head for all we know and so i think think that was a cop-out i'm just gonna say it i think that's another way of just saying Hey, look, we're showing you this stuff, but because of marketing and whatnot, we actually can't say that this is what it's going to be in the future. I, I, I just think that's a way of saying like, hey, here it is, but maybe it's not. So basically, it's a term of listen to Frankie and ignore what he's saying because he can't <laughs> say what he probably wants to say if he's being completely truthful about it. Well, he did he write Origins? I know he wrote most of Legends, at least the first drafts. Did he write Origins too? I don't know offhand. Huh. Either way, I think that's interesting that it's sort of a thing that was sort of hinted at, and but it wasn't really confirmed, and now they're making it, not only confirming it, but making it a big part of Halo 4. The second point that I wanted to bring up um, was, again, her appearance. Um, I think she looks a lot younger than she ever did before. And I think that might be an intentional, um, whether from a design standpoint or an in-universe standpoint in her, the reshaping of her image, it's an intentional reflection of her increased vulnerability as she nears the end of her lifespan. She becomes more, I'm not going to say childlike, but you know, mm-hmm. it gives off more of a, an appearance of helplessness, I guess. Yeah. 
Although I, I want to say, just to the record, like thank God she didn't look like she did in the the CG trailer. Like man, we dodged a serious bullet there. Yeah, that threw me off for sure. I thought that was like the opposite of looking younger. I thought she was actually like aging, which is kind of weird. But I think that was just that that trailer threw, threw a lot of people for a lot of good reasons. But uh, I think it was. It was what it was what it was. It was an outsourced, separate thing. Basically just trying to hammer home certain points, certain market, marketing things they wanted to throw out there, which was the chief, him looking different, the situation of the of the of the dawn being in danger, and he's back. And there's new weapons. Yeah, that's that was just sort of and, and, and the and the planet as well, the mysterious planet. Those were just the sort of base things they wanted to communicate, and, it, and that's what the trailer does perfectly. Mm-hmm. And the sort of relationship between Cortana and Chief, I, 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 I was hesitant to base any sort of speculation based on the trailer at all because I just didn't think it was going to play out. I'm glad to see that didn't. Oh yeah, just all the visual. I mean, it's. I think even the Chief looks a whole lot better now than he did in the announcement trailer. So that was that was a weight lifted from my shoulders. Yeah, it's kind of weird because they should have known that people would think people would be seeing the chief there and thinking, "Oh my God, what are they doing?" You know, worrying and panicking, and then they only throw out this really generic-looking art with the, with the new suit uh, at the time. And uh, the, you you type Halo Four into Google right now, and you still see all that early crap they released. Well, I know I know Frankie on Gaff a few, I think it might be a few months ago at this point was saying that he was working on key art and getting all that that part of things done at that time at 343. So I would imagine at this point that stuff is well finished. The new placeholder box arts and stuff like that uh, for, this sta- for the next stage in the marketing, all that will be done at this point. It's not finalized because I remember the sneak peek at E3. You know where you get the little backstage, sorry, sneaky camera pictures of the different flo- of the show floor, and I remember seeing Spartans in the show floor on one of those sneaky pictures. I was like, "Oh shit! Look at the Spartans!" Now we can see who they are, and they weren't the Spartans that people people thought they were going to be from the book and characters like from the book, and they weren't. So I remember, I remember it was definitely during E three. Mm, okay. Can't wait to see that this year. I have no doubt they are going to nuke E three with Connect and Halo. That's going to be all. E3 is from Microsoft. Connect and Halo. I guarantee it. Sounds good to me. I can ignore the Connect and just focus on Halo. Just so long as they don't spoil too much of the campaign. Yeah, that's what I'm really nervous about because I'm guessing that E3 is going to be the campaign's coming out party. And I, I hope it's not too big of a coming out. It depends. If, if they show, if, if they go for. There's a lot to show in Halo 4. Like, Spartan Ops is pretty much a separate full campaign. So if they show some of that off, they show the war games off, and they show maybe the first level or two from the campaign, maybe just the first level or maybe a second level in case they don't want to spoil something. There's so much content in the game already that they'd have enough to show us a meaty E3 presentation without giving too much away. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see how they handle it because typically, like E3 presentations or reveals, are are pretty focused. 
you know, Reach was showing a couple of very specific things. Each of the Halo games comes out and does something very specific. You know, this is our coming out for the campaign. Here's the slice of it we're going to show you. But we haven't really seen anything on this game yet, right? We've got the screenshots that they've put out as part of Game Informer. We've got a couple of snippets of very basic, stripped-down guys shooting each other in multiplayer. Yeah. We don't know about the reworked game types they're talking about. We've, we know on paper about what some of the new ordnance systems and such are like. We know about this new game mode called Spartan Ops, but they haven't really shown a bloody thing. I think for E3, we're definitely going to find out who the enemy is, because that's going to be the talking point for the campaign. Uh, yeah, and I agree with that, but I don't agree that that's what they should do. I think, you know, feasibly, and in terms of marketing, that's a great way to get more people to buy the game, but... In terms of player experience, it would be so much better if we got revealed that in the game. You can't hold back who you're farting fighting against until you buy the game. That's just no way. Think, think about Halo 1, right? Halo 1 started out with the premise that we're fighting the Covenant and we found this big ring. And then halfway through the game, this big new enemy is revealed. And Bungie said word zero about the Flood prior to it. So if the premise is, you know, we're fighting the Covenant, we found this big planetoid or whatever, and there's something else on it, they can plausibly keep a good chunk of that secret. Yeah, I just, I just don't think it's possible with the way marketing works. I, I like what Bungie did with the Flood and, and, and Halo. It's just the Flood were entered just much later into the game. Like, our, our new enemy we haven't seen yet. They're supposed to be our bread and butter, you know? So I, I would imagine we get to see our bread and butter much earlier. Which isn't Forerunner Prometheans, damn it. And no, knowing my luck, because I'm, I'm always wrong, because I always don't want it... I don't want it to be the obvious thing. You know, I think it's too obvious. And then the last time I said it was going to be too obvious and I didn't want it to happen, it happened. So my, my, my luck with this is non-existent basically so that... just any any time you disagree with one of my opinions <laughs> yeah All right so we're going to go on to spartan ops is there anything that we want to cover here because i know we've covered spartan ops a few times so anything i just i just think it's really interesting that they've already stated that the uh, the cinematics that there will not only will there be cinematics in uh, spartan ops to kind of frame the gameplay, not uh, really. I don't think it's going to be like a integrated part of the gameplay, in that you'll have sporadic cutscenes going from point A to point B, a cutscene, and then from point B to point C, and then another cutscene. But they have cutscenes, and they're going to be uh, pre-rendered. Is the interesting part, which is only which is only interesting because, of course, Isaac called it before, and so thus it. <laughs> came into being that was totally hypothetical i i well and they they described it as being a you know a weekly episode with a, a, a cg movie attached to it and just the way that was described made me think it was less integrated into the into the into the actual mission than it was here's a cg movie that gives you the context of what your mission is now yeah. go play the mission and does this mean we get more halo wars ask cutscenes because i'm going to be so happy if we yeah. get cutscenes of that caliber again. That's what I'm keeping my fingers crossed for. Yeah, those things really made my eyes happy. 
The only the only thing I'm kind of concerned is I would like I would really like now obviously the graphics have improved and there's not as much of a disconnect between Halo Wars gameplay graphics and the cinematics, but I would really hope that the pre-rendered wouldn't be too far off from what we see in the campaign just because I like there being a consistency between them. I like consistency, but stuff it. Throw money at the CGI guys. Make it look sextastic. I don't care. Give me the best high res, high detailed Pixar quality oomph as money can buy. Come on, it's Microsoft. I want them to chuck billions at people. I want the animators to be bruised with money. You know. <laughs> I- <laughs> animators wouldn't mind that either. I'm just picturing them like shooting like through like a cannon, just money spewing out at them. (laughs) But the Halo Wars really spoiled me of those cutscenes. They were just fantastic. The the production values were exquisite. And oh yeah, I'm just looking forward to anything on that sort of scale ever again. And, and, And to be promised pretty much a campaign, a new campaign with that quality. Oh. That word campaign has me really interested in kind of how, what Spartan Ops is, right? I mean, we know that Firefight is gone, that Spartan Ops is the new cooperative experience, but that rather than being arena-based, it's more mission-based. And so what I'm really interested in seeing is how is Spartan Ops going to be distinguished in terms of content from a campaign mission, right? What's going to distinguish a mission in Halo 4 campaign versus uh, a Spartan Ops mission. Yeah, what I was thinking is that the the Spartan Ops missions will probably be probably pretty similar to the campaign missions, but have like noted differences. Like say for example, I, I imagine like we will probably see a lot of the same spaces used. Because it just makes sense from a production standpoint to use a lot of the same spaces but mix up how those spaces are actually used themselves. Instead of, say, fighting from one side of the level to the other, you would start on the opposite side, or there would be a completely different scattershot of enemies, and you have to make a different route through a particular level. Yeah, and my, my hope is that they... You know, I just keep thinking there has to be something that justifies Spartan Ops being a whole new game mode, right? Something it brings to the table that you don't have in campaign. And just going through campaign spaces from a different perspective, like, I, I don't know, they, I feel like they've got to bring something else to the table than just that. What I'm hoping it is, is that it, it's the customizability, is that they take the ability that we have in multiplayer to really customize the spaces, and the ability that we had in Reach's Firefight to really customize the encounters, and they've developed a new tool set and that what we're downloading with Spartan Ops is not just a mission but that they're missions that are constructed in a similar fashion that game types are. Right, that, can I that, just, that's, my, that's my pie in the high hope. Pie can I just say hope. now that Galleon has officially ruined Halo 4 for me because it's not going <laughs> to live up to that awesome idea. So you just, just, you've ruined Halo 4 before, before you've even seen it properly. Well done. <laughs> That would be mind-blowingly awesome. Like, there's something, yeah. Like, every Halo game brings something fresh to the table. Like, what do we think is going to be... Like, Reach is, Reach is exceptional. I'll say that with uh, gritted teeth. Reach is exceptional because it didn't really bring a significant new feature. There was no real showcase 
modes in Reach that people could point to going, this is this is what Reach brings to the franchise. No, mostly it was just the loadouts. Yeah, it was yeah, it mostly was... refinements over the gameplay formula and little minor experiments. You know, little like like loadouts, like armor abilities. They weren't really they didn't define Reach and they didn't really change it up significantly. Although it, I think Invasion was aiming for that. Do you guys think that Spartan Ops is going to be that for Halo 4? Because if that's the case, and there's probably a lot more of it we haven't seen yet, like it could be what Galleon is saying there. That's that could be the mind blowing different direction that that it's needed. I think the comparison to Invasion is apt because I do think they seem to be using that as a sort of flagship. Like this is the Halo Reach was Spartans versus Elites, and so differentiating that in combat and having invasion i think worked well the issue was that it ultimately wasn't supported enough i think is the biggest issue Mm -hmm. it required so much custom maps and environments and just much harder to forge around an invasion scenario whereas they've made it clear that this is going to be an episodic campaign length set designed for cooperative that will be broken up and they said at least that the first, the first I think season is the terminology they used is definitely going to be free, and then whether the next part is comes with Halo Five or they're released as DLC packs. I I think it's going to be free, but it'll be gold only. You mean you'll have to you'll have, to have Halo Four because they said that Spartan Ops Spartan Op, Ops Spartan Ops is part of the Halo Four package, so you're not going to be paying for it separately. But definitely be gold only that if you want to continue getting the the episodes and the seasons, then you'll have to be a gold subscriber. That's all part of the whole makes sense with Microsoft's overall strategy of pushing gold, you know what I mean? Because that's that's a hell of an awesome thing to get for free. Well, I don't think you could do a lot of the cooperative stuff easily and split screen anyhow, so you'd probably have to do gold. But they do seem just in that they haven't quite told us how it's going to work economically or like schedule, but it does seem like they're trying to. Well, they did tell us the schedule. It's every week. Like, it will be broken down. For the first season. Yeah, they said that each episode will be broken down into five parts, wasn't it? Yeah. They haven't quite given us all the details, but it does feel like it's it's been fleshed out into a more encapsulated form, perhaps to avoid some of the issues with Invasion, where it sort of just lacked some of the follow-through. Yeah, the only thing I'm worried with it is how is the sustainability. Like, how long will a season last? How long will we have to wait for a next season? What will we do in between those seasons? Will we have to will let signal like when we get the the uh, the war games packs, you know, the, the war the war games DLC? Is will that be in between the seasons of this? Or you know, I mean, it, it's I'd love to be a fly in the wall right now. Of, of whoever's planning this stuff out and how they're going to schedule because one of the big problems with Halo historically has been the periods where there has been any fresh content. Like, also, it has to do with the introduction of this content and how the content is is taken in by the audience. But one of the big problems with Halo is the periods of downtime when there is nothing going on. There's no fresh content. Ideally, Spartan Ops will, despite being co- a cooperative mission linear story, hopefully it will have the same sort of replayability that Firefight had. That would be obviously the best case scenario, so it still 
even once you've completed the missions, you can go back and sort of iterate on things. It's not just the, it's not just going back. It has to make you want to go back. That's the difference. It make you have to want to go back with your friends. Yeah, definitely. That's the whole thing about firefights. It draws you in. You want to play again. You want to do a different one. You want to challenge yourself to whatever the skulls. You know, what I mean, it needs to have that addictive replayability. The, the campaign, for all its awesomeness, doesn't have that hook for the majority of players. I should point out, though, that they have all this... I'm not sure how it breaks down with Halo players, and obviously we aren't we aren't interacting with, I guess, the silent majority or whatever, but the majority of Xboxes are never connected to the Internet, and the majority... So there is a huge chunk of people who... This does definitely seem like a way that they're trying to get people online who would normally play the campaign and would be put off by the screaming... 13-year-olds and, and racists and stuff on Xbox Live and just a way do you of... Think, do you think this would be enough to convince those people? I think it would be a step in the right direction. I mean, if you... Like, would they would those same people even get access to Spartan Ops then without it? Well, it would be at least at least the first episode would be on the disc and, like, it's it's always easier to play, assuming especially if the networking's improved over reach, that it would be a great advantage to play it online with your friends. That's that's another concern that I have is the networking. Reaches multiplayer uh, code and uh, experience is a hell of a step up from, from Halo 3. But one thing I don't, I haven't really seen much improvement is the network code for Firefight and and the campaign. It, say, it stayed terrible. If I don't play a firefight, if I play a firefight with Galleon because of where he is in the world, where I am in the world, it doesn't matter how good my connection is or how good his connection is, it's going to be shit-tastic. Well, well, I should say that it's improved in the sense that when I was trying to like knock my head against the wall after like we were ten minutes away from getting the endure achievement in ODST, and then someone would <laughs> ever so slightly desync, and then that was the end. So they, they're slightly better at that. But yeah, it does have, obviously, much more significant issues. Paul, this way, Spartan Ops, for me, if, if, it, if it plays like Firefight does for me right now with, with American players, me being here in the UK, if Spartan Ops plays like that, I won't give a shit about it. Because I'll play through it by myself once, and that's it. Because it will have no replayability for me. Unless I find UK players and play exclusively with UK players, it'll just dampen the whole thing for me. If that's the same experience I get in Spartan Ops as I get right now in Firefight, I'll just not return to it often enough. Yeah, and definitely just because if we're all hoping that it turns out to be really wonderful, it would be a shame that it would get shafted by the issues of networking. It would be a shame, especially if it's a great cooperative experience otherwise. Okay, well, that about wraps up this episode. If you want to leave us questions or comments or talk about this episode, you can go to our forums or leave a comment. You can subscribe to us via iTunes if you're interested in what you heard. Thanks for listening. Thanks for everyone who's here talking with me. Uh, And we'll see you next time.